Greening Cyberspace, and welcome to episode 59 of the Double Density Podcast. Double Density, your home to tech tales and paranormal primers. So first things first, Angelo, how are you? I'm doing great. I had an unexpected encounter this evening, though. Strange. So did I. So uh, before we start in on that, though, a, a warning to all of our uh, Apple lovers, uh, you may want to skip this preamble uh, and then hit to if your app allows you the next chapter as we talk about Apple's WWDC uh, event. But before that, let's talk about some real life stuff. Why would anybody want to skip our witty banter, though? I don't know. Maybe they're really, really interested in your hot takes on uh, all things Apple. See, and then there's also the people that'll skip past the WWC talk. So there we go. Oh, people like me, you mean? Yes. I uh, was actually walking down the street this afternoon uh, from work to the train station and I saw somebody that looked like you. Oh, weird. And I was like, huh, that guy looks like Brian. And he's really staring at me. And I was like, hmm, should I say hello to this person? But what if it's not Brian and I say hello to a random stranger? But luckily it was actually you in real life. I saw you. In it was indeed. Uh, I usually wait for a bus at a different spot, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to walk to the uh, the earlier stop. I have a little bit of extra time today. And sure enough, um, as I turned around, Angelo was hopping and skipping along in a park uh, with his <laughs> AirPods in his ears. And uh, I guess I don't have the facial blindness that you do when it comes to this. I must admit, I do really have a sort of facial blindness. Is that what you called it? Yeah. Like, cause you looked very concerned and I thought that you were trolling me with the look on your face and you were just going to keep walking on by. No, I, I really have a problem with that actually, where everybody looks the same to me. Right. But, uh, it turns out that even your beloved co-host, uh, is not immune to your, uh, weird situation. But no, it, look, you, you, you are immune to it because I did realize it was you. And yeah, I said, that's you. because I stepped out of the line a little bit and I weaved at you and then you stopped and you, you pulled out one earbud. Well, I, all I need is to pull out one because then it stops magically. That's the beauty of AirPods. Oh, I see. Yet another fringe benefit of the Apple empire. But uh, this means you you actually thought I was listening to music as I was talking to you. Uh, Maybe. I don't know. Some people only pull out one. Sometimes if I don't want to talk to someone on the street, I'll, I'll pull out the one, not the two. I, I pull out the one and rest assured if anybody with AirPods pulls out just one, they are actually listening to you intently because the music stops. Anyways, needless to say, it's it's always weird when you don't expect to see someone in a place like that, right? Because I wasn't expecting to see you today. Neither were you, evidently. And uh, it was a happy little coincidence. And then I said, I'll see you on the internet tonight, to which you said, as you cross the street, I'll see you there. And we here we are. Here and we are, the, hours later, it, mere hours later. And the funny thing is, is that we worked together for so many years and we saw each other all the time. And now, in the last few years, we hardly see each other in person, but we chat and text extensively and talk on the internet uh, once a week at least so here we are uh it was fun seeing you in real life yeah it was great and that kind of leads me to that whole discussion like that that oddity of like uh, when 2d becomes like irl or 3d right or the idea that like you don't expect these things to happen and then they do and uh, it's it's fun but also like very odd it's like a glitch in the matrix almost well i've been saying i'm supposed to be meeting uh tyler renard from rgba to pick up my ATP merch. We uh, both ordered dad hats and they're taking forever to arrive. Apparently uh, they're still somewhere in Chicago as of the recording of this, but hopefully by the time this is out, we'll actually have met and we'll have exchanged caps and money. I'm looking forward to seeing a selfie of you wearing this dad hat, uh, which you will be posting all over the place, right? For sure. Definitely. All right. Well, Let's let's get into uh, the big ticket item here on the tech section of episode 59 of Double NC, and that is, of course, Apple's WWDC event. To anyone whose podcast app has chapter markers, you can go ahead and easily skip this section. We've got a bunch of other great uh, content for this episode, but I feel like you may want to hang on to your hats and listen to Angelo's hot takes about this event or non-event in this case, depending on how you see things. So, Angelo, the floor is yours. I don't want to spend too much time on WWDC because... It, it just happened, really, as we record this, so there's a lot to unpack there, and lots of stuff's going to come to light. The best part of WDC is once the developers get their hands on betas, which they have already, and they've been posting some interesting things. Um, for example, we just mentioned chapter markers. Well, I didn't know this, but the Apple's podcast app uh, actually is, has never had chapter markers, and I was under the impression they were already there, but they don't have them. Well, soon enough, uh, everyone will have access to chapter markers on the iOS platform, right? So, hey, the good news is you can more easily skip around double density the more you feel like it. 
Yeah, there we go. Um, but let's let's start with the big one, and that's iOS 12, and that's what uh, Apple started with. And uh, for people that were expecting lots of cool whiz-bang new features, um, this year is uh, a focus on nerdy people like me, and it's a focus on performance, which I think is actually a good thing, uh, meaning that they're still going to support the same stuff that iOS 11 supported. So going all the way back to the iPhone 5S from 2013. So they're, they're actually going to be supporting five years worth of iPhones and iOS devices, which is pretty great. And uh, I think it's good because a lot of people complained about how buggy iOS 11 was. I know we have complained about that on the show. Yeah, I, one of the bigger things I think was the iMessaging and the way that it was showing up oddly. Like I, my response to you would show up after your question to me, for example, that's been a big uh, issue, and it was recently fixed with iOS eleven point four with um, them adding iMessages in the cloud, which has been a, a, something that people have been waiting for for a long time. They have because they actually announced it a year ago, like this week, because it was announced at WWDC twenty seventeen. The thing with uh, with the messages in the cloud is that it's not very clear how to turn it on. Most people probably have not turned it on yet. And I think Apple kind of wants it that way because it's a feature that they've been perfecting. The last thing they want is for people to lose their messages. That would be something of a bit of a nightmare. You mean people would lose their minds? Most people, though, have not lost their minds with uh, the announcements at IOF, about iOS 12. Um, like I said, it's a focus on performance and improvements. But there's some pretty big performance jumps. They kind of gave examples with an iPhone 6, so the from five years ago, four years ago. And they showed how one example is when, you know when you swipe left to get your camera up right away? Yep. Well, that's actually 70% faster now on an iPhone 6, according are to you, their numbers. Are you going to be uh, benchmarking this? Because I know last episode we talked about how you like to benchmark uh, your boot times. This is not something I'm going to benchmark, No. Um, I've actually been pretty lucky with never feeling slowed down by any sort of updates. Um, although I usually have a device that's at the minimum three years old, right? Like it's usually not older than three years. So I've been pretty lucky with that. Um, but for example, my daughter has a hand-me-down 5S and yes, it seems a bit slower. So I'm kind of excited to see how much faster this iOS 12 update will be in the fall. But yeah, um, Speaking of your daughter, though, there is a new feature that was introduced that was a quite a fun feature that I feel would be uh, geared towards her and um, people her age and slightly older and also the child inside of all of us. Are you talking about Memoji? I sure am. The problem with Memoji? You need an iPhone 10 or better. Oh, entry barrier problem. Well, it uses the special camera in the front of the iPhone 10. Right. So it's not available to everyone, but eventually as we continue to upgrade our phones, uh, more and more people should be able to unlock it. People are going to love it for sure. I think it's going to actually sell. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. People excluding you because you literally told me this is one feature I have no use for. Well, if you look at the notes and care to take the time to look at those notes, you'll see I wrote people will love this dot, dot, dot. Angelo does not care. There we go. See, I like how you get meta with this. Yeah. Well, people know we have notes. No, I just meant more so the idea that like I was trying to present show content as show content and then you called me out on it based on the show notes, <laughs> which we often do anyways. So I don't understand why you decided to take this moment to make a stand for yourself. It was uh, a man who does not care about me emojis. But speaking of kids, though, uh, the nice thing is, is there going to be better controls? That's something that Apple got called out, called out for, what, like six months ago where people were freaking out that Apple should do something about this. And they actually came out and said, well, we're working on it and it'll be something that'll be part of an update. And here we are now, they're uh, taking a page out of Google's book. Obviously, they haven't copied Google in this case, and Google hasn't copied Apple. They've all kind of come to this at the same time. So both updates of Android and iOS now in the fall are going to have these extra features where you can kind of track what you're doing on your phones. That is a problem a lot of people seem to have where they're glued to their phones. And this will kind of quietly nudge you and say, hey, You've been on Instagram for an hour today overall. Maybe it's time to stop. So uh, a nanny and a telephone all in one. I feel like it's not something I have too much of a problem with. I'm not one who's addicted to his phone or anything. But you, but are, I, you are addicted to listening to podcasts though, right? And I'm wondering oh, if Oh, that there feature is, is a, not going to get turned on for podcasts. <laughs> so you're, you're well aware of your issue at hand. But the thing is like you're not actively... Uh, 
interacting with your phone as you listen to podcasts, right? So at least there's that. It's more of a passive kind of thing. I don't think there's a problem with listening to podcasts or music. Like you said, you're not, I'm not actively looking at my phone. And while I work, I like having my headphones, well, AirPods, I guess, in my ears to block out the noise around me, um, especially when in a few months I'll be losing my walls and door and be working in an open concept office. Come join me. I've been like that for almost a year now. So uh, you and I can commiserate about the uh, the joys and the pains of seeing everyone's face all at once. Oh, we're going to be spending a whole episode on that. <laughs> uh, block out your uh, planners, people. Uh, we'll announce that well in advance for you to prepare. Uh, may you also commiserate with us if you wish to uh, do so. But moving along for uh, all things WWC, it seems like uh, there's been some improvements for Siri too. Apple about a year or so ago bought uh, one of the darling apps of the Apple community, and that was the F- Workflows app. It's an app where you tap on a card and it basically inputs a whole bunch of commands. It's automation for iOS. And it was an impressive app, so impressive that Apple basically acquired them so that they could hire people from there. And people were worried what was going to happen to Workflows. Well, it's now reborn as Siri Shortcuts. Hey, yeah, and it seemed really, really impressive. And Siri's going to get a lot more powerful now where you're going to be able to just create your own shortcuts so you don't have to worry about Siri understanding you. You've actually created these shortcuts. So you invoke Siri, and then let's say the word was uh, podcasts in car or whatever, and then it'll basically open your podcast app and start playing whatever podcast. I think that's a really uh, very simple example, but apparently... People have been digging into the beta, say it works quite well, and it really starts you off slowly to kind of get people to understand how it's going to actually work. Because it can get really complicated. Like, I have workflows on my phone. I don't use it that much. I'm not one for really, like, being super productive on my iPhone and stuff. I, I do stuff on it, but my productivity stuff really is my uh, iMac and my iPad. Um, I do use workflows from time to time. There's some cool stuff, like you press a button and it'll instantly post the last, last picture you took to Instagram. Will there be a button uh, that you can use um, in there to, that will allow you to recognize me more quickly? <laughs> it'll, uh, yeah. Hey Siri, is that Brian? <laughs> you know, I, I was half expecting you to text me, like drop a pin, you know, like let me know if that's you. Oh man, we're going to keep going back to this, but it was really, really, really weird. <laughs> Uh, speaking of really weird, the new uh, Mac OS has uh, a name that is normal to most, but um, kind of tricky for anyone who has a passing knowledge of ufology. Yeah, we did an episode way back when um, called the Mojave Incident. We talked about, well, we talked about the Mojave Incident. I don't think the name of the episode was the Mojave Incident. No, but it wasn't. If you go on our website and search Mojave, you'll find it. Uh, now you'll, though, you'll also get uh, hits for uh, Mac OS, which is the new name. Mojave. They're continuing with their California named themes. And uh, although if you watch the keynote, Craig Federighi was kind of funny because he keeps making fun of the team, the marketing team that names these things. And he said they won on a four-year bender of naming them after mountains because they had Yosemite, uh, El Capitan, uh, Sierra, and then High Sierra. So now they've finally gone to the desert. And one of the main um, updates here is something people have been clamoring for for many years, a night mode. What is that? Basically, it makes your screen a little darker. The thing is, is that a lot of the professional apps, so for example, Logic Pro and Final Cut Pro, use a theme that's already night mode yeah. adjacent, basically. Um, also, Audio Hijack, which I'm using now, is dark themed. And I, I, do you know the, the reasoning why professional apps seem to do that? Or is that just the thing? I just think that uh, they're cognizant of their user base, right? So a lot of users tend to use um, these apps sort of in a marathon type setting, especially if you're doing a project. So I think that like they've already built that in knowing that a large part of their user base is probably going to be working well into the night with a lot of these things. I saw a funny tweet. I think it was by Jason Snell. He said, so does that mean Logic and Final Cut are getting a light mode? <laughs> well i mean like oh like uh final cut 7 was mostly like um muted palette right like uh light greens and beiges so it was interesting when final cut 10 came out sorry final cut x uh no it's final there. cut 10 yeah but like a, a lot of people i know call it x which is like uh, neither here nor there but um it was quite the shift over right of of a mostly black 
um, project pane. So that was kind of cool to see. And I, in my limited time using it, have really enjoyed using uh, it uh, any time of day, really. Yeah, I like using Final Cut. I don't use it much because I'm not a video person, really. But um, it's actually really easy to use uh, for a professional app, just like Logic. Logic is as easy or as difficult as you make it. Yeah. And um, I mean, when you first open up Logic, it looks exactly like GarageBand. Exactly. Right. Because Uh, they just leave it as that. But uh, moving on, night mode. uh, Another big deal, Brian, new Mac App Store. What does that even mean? So have you used the Mac App Store on your Mac? Uh, not recently. Well, I mean, you use it for updates because that's what it updates, but it's garbage. Sure, right? like I'll <laughs> open it, but it's really like I'll open it every like two months to see what needs to be updated. Yeah, and, and it's pretty terrible. Can you agree? Yes, absolutely. But yeah, so apparently there's going to be a new updated Mac Store, uh, uh, sorry, or Mac App Store. And then also uh, I hear that there's going to be a better interfacing between macOS and iOS. So can you shed some light on that? So I'll unpack the two things there. The Mac App Store, one of the biggest deals about them creating a new Mac App Store is the the apps that are coming back. Because a lot of apps, because of the way the Mac App Store is set up, Apple forces you to have a very specific type of security. Uh, It's called sandboxing, where your app can't touch certain parts of the OS, creating a problem for a lot of apps. For example, uh, Microsoft Office, not available in the Mac App Store. Um, an app I use a lot uh, for note-taking, BB Edit, not available there. And they announced that those apps, along with Transmit, all these really important apps that um, Mac users really like using are there now or going to be there in the fall, Right. Uh, meaning that they're relaxing a bit. I wonder what they're going to be doing with their uh, revenue sharing, though, because Apple right now forces you... Uh, if you're a developer, to uh, fork over 30% of your earnings. That is a sizable chunk of cash uh, per transaction. Yeah, exactly. Uh, One thing, though, they've done in recent years is for subscriptions, after one year of subscriptions, you actually start, you only have to pay them 15%. So, for example, um, I subscribe to Overcast, and uh, I think it's like 13 bucks a year for in Canada. And this year, since it's the second year, uh, the developer got 85% of that as opposed to 70% of it last year. Which is good news if you're a long-term developer, right? Yeah, he said he noticed actually a huge jump in uh, revenue. So that's really good for him because he's just one guy. Uh, the second thing you had mentioned was iOS and macOS integrating more closely. That's something that's been rumored for a long time. And Apple kind of had to show their hand here and say, look, this is not happening this year for you guys, but we've tested it by porting over uh, four of our apps, news, stocks, neither of which I ever use. Uh, News we can't actually even get here in Canada. Uh, Stocks app, because I don't care about stocks. There's also voice recorder, which I've used on my, my iPhone and now will be available on the Mac as well. And um, the home app, which is uh, controls your home stuff, like uh, right. smart lights and all that stuff. Um, Something so, that we may end up covering uh, in a future episode is the idea of like the unified OS um, for Mac, because I know that it's it's on its way, right? But it's it's very cumbersome to have to deal with two distinct, separate environments for a lot of the stuff, right? Actually, Craig Federighi kind of answered that question, and he was talking about like he he pulled one of those like, okay, well, let me explain this now. He kind of. Uh, wanted to go over it quietly. It's like almost he took a pause in the keynote and said, I want to address this. People keep asking us, are we going to be merging macOS and iOS? And then a giant no showed up on the big screen. So they're going to keep them distinct. They're going to keep them as distinct as possible, but now it's going to be easier for developers to port their iOS apps to the Mac, which is, I think, think a really good idea. They they kind of want to make sure that stuff like... uh, mouse and trackpad interaction and keyboard, uh, physical keyboards, external monitors, all that stuff, non-touch display, they want to keep that on the Mac. And the iPhone and iPad is something else. Right. Um, and then, yeah, the last thing... Um, I, Which I is guess like we'll, your two favorite things merged together. Um, so I feel <laughs> like you may have gotten a little excited about this fact. Well, actually, no, because I don't need it because my desktop is always organized. So, oh, I meant the last point uh, after that. Oh, yes, I'll get to that after. But 
The last thing about uh, macOS is, uh, well, there's lots of stuff, but last thing they presented was like a, a desktop organization thing. Um, not something I need because my desktop's are always organized because I'm a big nerd with that stuff. But for people that put a lot of stuff on their desktop, it looks like it'll be a neat feature. Perfect. And one last thing to note, Angela, go ahead and hit us with this, uh, which is an exciting uh, two for one for you in your world. Well, not really, because I, I don't think I'll, I'll be using this too much. But uh, watchOS now will actually have podcasts on the watch, which is pretty cool. Um, the coolest thing I got from that part was one of my favorite podcasts, uh, Connected, was shown on the big screen. And uh, the guys who host that had no idea this was going to happen. And there was pictures tweeted of them seeing this at the keynote. One of the hosts was actually in the audience at the keynote, and he lost his mind. Oh, that's kind of cool. Giving yeah. back to the community. Yeah, really, really cool, actually. And um, they also mentioned uh, the tvOS, but really nothing much of excitement happened there. Uh, it's still working as a TV, and it's fine, and that's it. Internet is still king here on uh, the Mac uh, platforms. Angelo, uh, so this year, WWC is all about uh, maintaining the status quo, not shaking the boat too much. It's not even that. It's just making things better from what we have now. Uh, I think macOS is getting the biggest update, uh, evidenced in the fact that it's dropping support for a few older Macs. Um, I think anything before 2012 will no longer get the updates for this. So my wife's Mac, uh, my MacBook, her MacBook Air will not be getting uh, Mojave. All right, folks. And with that, we're wrapping up Apple Talk here this week. This is the one Apple uh, news item of the week. So congrats on that one, Angelo. We would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, Did you watch WWDC? Do you care about any of the uh, new features or possibilities out there? We'd love to hear from you. You can go ahead and tweet at us at double underscore density, facebook.com slash double density podcast. Same thing on Instagram or head on over to double density and click on the contact button. Let us know too little Apple, too much Apple, just the right amount of Apple. We'd love to hear from you. And you know, you said that's the last Apple thing, but there's one little thing that it's, it's okay, adjacent. So let's, let's sneak this in right now before we we head to a break, right? So uh, one of the features actually, and I, I've been reading about this in a couple of places that's super interesting, is that um, something that wasn't announced at WWDC, but apparently in some cases already exists in some makes of iOS is uh, a security feature um, that's meant to thwart basically like rootkits getting into your phone. Uh, it, so for if you if your phone's been inactive and locked for more than an hour, Apple now forces you to go to the uh, passcode option in order to unlock your phone, which was not the case beforehand. And so um, there were several cases where law enforcement officials were buying uh, gray market and black market um, apps and items in order to unlock your phone to get to the info that they needed. Yeah, this is a feature that was initially in like the 11.3 betas, then it made it to the 11.4, but didn't make it to the final one that we all have. And I think it's in the 4.1 uh, beta now. Basically, yeah, it was a week at one point. So like you could still plug in your your phone into a USB thing and it would you would be able to work with it that way. But now after an hour, if you plug it into USB and you want to use your phone, you have to actually unlock it. Either, either with, like you regularly unlock it. You just unlock it with your thumb or your passcode. So for a regular person, this is no issue at all. But for somebody trying to do nefarious things to your phone or law enforcement trying to break into it without your knowledge, well, you're fine. Apple uh, caring about the privacy of individuals in remarkable, actionable ways. Yeah, they they really actually seem to care about that. Uh, One of the many reasons to use an Apple device. Paid for by Apple. Double Density presents the sounds of your youth. Welcome back to Double Density, and we are about to cover a couple of non-Apple tech items. First up on the docket is an article from The Atlantic about how it's uh, now harder and harder to make money off of uh, memes or memes, as I like to call them, around the house. So the idea is that uh, memes used to have longer tails, right? So I can has cheeseburger and all of the early memes from like 10 years ago were um, marketable. You could put them on things like t-shirts and coffee mugs, and they would sell relatively well, whereas now um, the uh, meme... Uh, has acquired a shorter and shorter tail, right? And so I was kind of um, thinking, uh, do you know that meme that's kind of popular right now of the guy looking at the girl while holding the other woman's hand? 
Yeah, I mean, that's like so two months ago, but pretty right. much I know which one you're talking about. Right. So uh, the idea of the model of the meme has now moved on from one that is um, static to one that is ever-changing, right? And the joy that people are finding is the variations on the meme and not the meme itself, which was the case like 10 years ago. And so I, I find it very interesting as someone who likes digging into like the sociological uh, nature of uh, internet culture and sort of thinking about things like this. And I find it super interesting that like it is harder to make catch because the web is much more fluent and... Um, the meme cycle is shorter and shorter and shorter, right? So consider like a thing like Laurel versus Yanni, right? Like that would have been a, a song that would have been some kind of lyric video. Like that would have had like a three or four month tail. Yeah. Uh, to my Yanni. Yeah. Like how did it come out in 2008? Now in 2018, we're like two or three weeks out and everyone's pretty much uh, moved on uh, from it. Well, by the time our episode came out about it, it was almost forgotten. Uh, yeah. I almost wanted to cut it because we had covered it a week. Like, so we, we tend to record about a week out. So we, I don't know. I, I kind of almost wanted to cut it up because of the fact that like, it was like that weird kind of moment where it was like a little passe, but also kind of super interesting to those who hadn't paid uh, much attention uh, to it. But it is a really fascinating article uh, about the idea of uh, an internet may may based economy. It just goes by so fast. And if anything's making me feel old, it's uh, Snapchat and this type of stuff where, you know, back in my day, all your base all belonged to us lasted for like nine years. Do you remember the the Group X Mario Twins Flash? Oh, that sounds really familiar. I think you sent me something about that. Yeah, I, I probably did. But yeah, it's stuff like that like lasted way longer than it does now. Like these are all just blips on the radar, and it's kind of. I feel like I want to cover this in a more grounded, um, sort of longer approach in a future episode. But the idea of um, how we've become hyper niche in a lot of ways, like all of these different communities have their in jokes and stuff, and uh, the internet used to be much more of a shared culture in some ways, and that like exposure was much. Uh, quicker to happen and now for example like on twitter a lot of the stuff gets filtered out depending on how many uh, people you follow right so the people that you tend to interact with more you'll tend to see more um so that means that you might be missing out on uh, different subsets of information that you're not necessarily picking up right because let's say like like for example like i follow a lot of like rap twitter accounts right so i, I get a lot of my news through there um but uh, you know if i were to follow like a car mechanic uh, sort of sphere uh, i'd be getting a lot more of that information right so i i feel like you have to go and and find things uh, a lot uh, more these days in terms of like wanting to be involved. Whereas back in the day, it was just given to you on a grander scale. Oh yeah, I agree. Like I have uh, my Twitter, I follow people in tech, people um, Apple focused uh, and more recently uh, paranormal friends. It's like really there's like little niche things and you see what gets certain communities actually right. Like excited about things, right? You see where, everybody stands like something that is being talked about uh, intently in the Apple community won't get talked about in the other communities part of it. like you even see this in a, a smaller like uh, sphere, like a little microcosm of, of group DMS. So I've group DMS for different things. And like, we have our little in jokes of just in that group DM. It's crazy. And sometimes they cross over into public tweets too. Right. So exactly. Yeah. Anyways, it's, yeah, this is something that I love talking about and I feel like uh, we'll continue talking about it. And I feel like, yeah, maybe there is a bigger um, episode uh, to be planned around a lot of this, but it, suffice, it, suffice it to say, it's, it's really, really interesting. And also um, something that's sort of related that we wanted to talk about this week is um, Polygon.com put out an article about how uh, a lot of uh, YouTube stars are feeling burnt out, right? So um, I don't know if you... Uh, are sort of like uh, aware, I guess, of like a production cycle for YouTube video, right? But it is very demanding, especially because of the fact that like a lot of YouTube creators exist in this weird zone where they can't afford to hire a team uh, because the revenue is not enough. But at the same time, they need to keep going or else they uh, will not end up with enough money to uh, be able to pay their bills and make ends meet, right? So it's this like constant struggle and slog to create content that'll appeal to the masses on a small, uh, very timely scale, the article from Polycon is really great and really breaks down exactly what's going on there. And it really makes you like feel for some of these people because from the outside world to the uninitiated, it seems like, oh, they're just, they're having fun and they're getting paid for it. Like, I'm not going to feel sorry for you, but they do have certain pressures on them. And the bigger you become, the more pressure is on you, no matter how much money you're earning or whatever. But I'm more from the podcasting uh, crowd. Like that's what I, that's, those are the people I follow. And to make money in podcasting takes a lot less subscribers or listeners than it does in YouTube. Like not even, it's like 
a factor of like a hundred almost. It's insane. And I do follow a few YouTubers. The ones I follow are, are kind of different though. They'll put out a, a video like once or twice a week, maybe. Like CGB Gray puts out a video like every two months, but he's gone more into podcasting now than YouTubing. Is that what you say? YouTubing? Yeah, let's go with the content YouTube. creation, YouTube content creation. Yeah, his videos are great and I like them and he gets like a few million views every single time he puts out a video. But there's less pressure on him for his YouTube now because it seems like he's done more with podcasting and he probably makes a lot more money off of his podcast than he does. Well, yeah, for his sure. YouTube. His CPMs are probably through the roof, um, comparatively speaking, right? And well, and uh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say the, the CPMs for, and that stands for clicks per mil, for podcasts, are like, I think $25, whereas for YouTube, it's like pennies. It's insane. Yeah. So like if, if a podcaster has, what that means if the podcaster has a thousand listeners, they're not going to get any sponsors, but let's say you have 20,000 listeners. So you get $25 times 20, I guess at that point, right? Yeah, let's, let's go with that. Yeah, so, so a thousand clicks per mil is a thousand people. $25 per thousand people. And once you start getting sponsors, it's roughly what you can start charging for that. Whereas YouTube, it's way lower and yeah. you're relying on Google and you're a slave to its algorithm. And that's where the problem lies. Yeah, for sure. And I do think like uh, there's no one that's more emblematic of this shift over into different kinds of content creation than H3H3, H3, right? So originally they became stars on the YouTube platform, realized this. And as the adpocalypse kind of um, gotten their way, they proactively decided to start doing a, a video podcast on Twitch, right? And so they get several sponsors per up. So they probably pay way more than they could ever, ever hope to get paid on YouTube. And then what they do is they cut up their content, throw it on a YouTube page as a secondary source of revenue, keeping that uh, Twitch video podcast as their primary source for a lot of this information. Now, yeah, they still drop the occasional video um, that's like original content on YouTube, but that's no longer uh, their bread and butter. Just an example, if a podcast, let's say, has about anywhere from 75 to 100,000 listeners, that means per ad, they're probably making about five or $6,000. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, and it's kind of like I, I saw someone, uh, I think it was the Game Chasers, some guy, one of the two creators had tweeted out and then very quickly deleted how much they make. So for about 10,000 views, they get like 20 bucks or something. Oh, it's, it's for YouTube, it's, it's almost borderline sad. Well, and then beyond that, right? Like you can get demonetized for any number of reasons, especially like, you know, if you keep your content clean, you can still get demonetized. They won't tell you why, which is a huge gatekeeping issue. And I feel like the platform, while it is ever expanding, um, a lot of its stars will sort of start to fade away as this fatigue sets in. And I know someone who, as someone who understands how content creation happens and how demanding it can be on a continual cycle, you need to take those breaks. But unfortunately, YouTube isn't the kind of place that lets you take those breaks. That's the problem. And we, I noticed that with H3HD, there were less and less videos. And then they moved into the podcast. And like you said, uh, I guarantee you they're making way more money on their podcast now. And they seem way happier with it. Someone was quoting figures like they were probably making about $100,000 per podcast and kind of breaking it down. I don't necessarily believe it's 100000 per podcast? Yeah. No, no. Yeah. I'll, send you, I'll send you the video and I'll, I'll see what you think. But I, I definitely do think it's at least in the tens of thousands. I, with their pro, like, look, if a podcast that has a hundred thousand listeners makes about five or six thousand per, per ad, if they have what, probably 500,000 max, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. They're, they're probably, you know, they're probably making a 10 to 20,000 per ad, not a hundred thousand though. No, but like all together with the YouTube and the Twitch subscriptions oh, okay. and then without the, the ad reads and stuff. Well, you know what? Good for them. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, like, good on them for pivoting, right? Like, I, I was listening uh, to a recent episode where they were saying that they want to be the next Howard Stern show. And I, I applaud them for that move and that ambition. You know, who knows where the world is going to take them. Uh, two very quick items to wrap things up. Firstly, it, uh, as a continuation last week of all the things we talked about, uh, tinfoil hat tech-wise, uh, a team from MIT, according to a recent BBC article by Jane Wakefield, um, is training a psychopathic AI. Uh, <laughs> well, just as an experiment. This? I don't know, but um, if you go ahead and follow the link below, there's several Rorschach tests of what a, and, and then the results of what a regular AI saw, and then what Norman, uh, I guess after Norman Bates, I'd assume, uh, saw. So, for example, the first picture of the regular AI saw a close-up vase with flowers, and Norman saw a man shot dead. So <laughs> that kind of uh, makes things interesting. But the real point of the article that I found um, very fascinating is the idea of humans bringing biases um 
uh, to the forefront in sort of like programming these AI, right? Like we're only as good as the data we feed it, right? So I talked about last year how there's this uh, corrections uh, program that was flagging more black people than white because the people inputting the information were guiding it sort of without realizing it, saying that like um, black people are twice as likely to offend than white people. The AI is only going to be as good as the data you give it and the people that program it. And this shows it. So just to say like, it's it's a regular AI saw a close up of a wedding cake on a table. Very nice, very pretty. Norman, man killed by speeding driver. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's super interesting. The article kind of goes on to explain um, things that like um, software training on Google News became sexist because of the data that it was learning from. And the article kind of does a really great job of breaking down how um, the data we feed our machines tends to influence um, how we do things, right? So our natural biases come to the forefront um, in examples like this. So I find it kind of an interesting read. Uh, and I know that like we're laughing about it right now, but the idea of a psychopathic AI on a continual basis uh, is not surprising in the future no and um one question for you does norman in the picture that's depicted there sort of look like kano from mortal kombat <laughs> yes totally he totally does or the borg maybe yeah no i say uh, kano more he, he seems like he has that whole rip your heart out of your chest vibe so are we as human beings his goro who will defeat him or oh, his chang sung oh very good idea but uh, sonya was the uh, mortal enemy of kano so let's be sonya Perfect. Let's be a uh, human-based Sonia. Uh, and then the last item we want to cover this week is uh, ain't no one holding these flamethrowers down. So Elon Musk's uh, non-flamethrowers are apparently shipping soon. And uh, California's efforts to restrict the flamethrowers um, has been basically thrown out. So in California, what you need to do apparently is uh, you California requires you to buy a $425 permit for flamethrowers that shoot beyond 10 feet. Um, but a lot of other states actually don't have any legislature, le- legislature, gosh, that's a hard word to say, legislature in place in dealing with um, flamethrowers. And uh, so they tried legislating it and banning them, but unfortunately uh, it did not come to pass, which means that Elon Musk's boring company's non-flamethrowers will be in hands within the end, within, I'd say like a month, probably. Elon Musk is weird these days. And um, 10 feet is far, right? That's pretty far. I mean, and, like, this is going to be one hell of a July 4th for a lot of people. Yeah, and this is shoots less than 10 feet, but even if it's like 8 or 9 feet, that's a lot of flames. Do you know the amount of people that will try and light fireworks with their flamethrowers? Um, I would guess in the thousands. Yes. It's going to be a crazy summer for a lot of people out there. Happy 4th of July. Good luck with your not a flamethrower. Uh, to the neighbors of anyone who has bought one of these flamethrowers, <laughs> good luck, I think, is the more adequate way of saying things. And with that, Angela, let's head on over to the paranormal section. I'll see you there. Hello, all you curious creatures out there. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. And we are the hosts of Into the Portal. If you like myths, legends, history with a paranormal twist, join us every week as we explore lesser-known mysteries of our world and beyond. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play Music, and all other major podcast platforms, and at intotheportal.com, your gateway to the bizarre. The only question is, do you dare peer into the portal? Welcome back to Double Density. As always, we are switching gears from a very long tech section to the paranormal. And this week we have one article and one article only to talk about. But boy, howdy, is this a doozy. So Angelo, firstly, thanks for finding this. Uh, so it is from a website called The Drive. And I'm just going to read the the title so that people know what they're in for this week. So, And before I get any credit, I don't remember where I found this from, but it was one of our uh, podcasting friends that posted it. I want to say it was either Rob uh, from Our Strange Guys or Scott Philbrook from uh, Astonishing Legends. One of those guys posted this and credit where credit is due, although I'm not crediting the right person just yet. But one of them posted it, I think. Perfect. So the article is entitled, These are Real Pentagon Reports on Warp Drive, Extra Dimensions, Anti-Gravity, and More. So it is a, kind of a really fun read. Um uh, for a number of reasons, right? Uh, so this was a, an article originally, um, th- an information that Corey Good over at the uh, Sphere Being Alliance first posted, and that George Knapp, of course, uh, he of Las Vegas uh, news fame, uh, Hunt for Skinwalker Ranch fame, uh, also decided to disseminate earlier uh, this year. So it's kind of a really interesting sloping article that describes uh, the relationship between billionaire uh, Robert Bigelow, um, the Department of Defense, the Pentagon, uh, a team of 50 scientists and more sort of congregating. And um, so they get all this money 
um, and sort of uh, form the Advanced Aerospace Weapons Systems Application Program and sort of begin to deep dive into a lot of really uh, particular and peculiar programs or, you know, sets of ideas or uh, projects. Yeah, everything from uh, faster than light travel and space propulsion uh, to weird stuff like talking about dark energy and extra dimensions. Um, it's like all the fantastical things you'd see in a science fiction movie, but they were seriously studying it. And um, am I wrong to think that like George Knapp and uh, Big Bob Bigelow are like... <laughs> Bib, Big Bob Bigelow. <laughs> Is he Bam Bam Bigelow's cousin? Maybe. Um, does he have flames on his head? I don't know. Well, he could. Who knows? Maybe under all that, that hair is a wig. Uh, please Maybe, don't sue yeah. us, Robert Bigelow. We are just kidding. No. Um, but they seem to have some sort of working relationship. Uh, George Knapp was granted access to Skinwalker Ranch and uh, to discuss it. So here we are again talking about him in relation to Bob Bigelow, Robert Bigelow. What does he prefer? I wonder. Uh, Mr. Um, Bigelow, Mr. Bigelow probably is, is yeah. good follow us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, sir. And um, <laughs> yeah, this is some really interesting stuff because it's it kind of stems from the Defense Intelligence Agency and they're trying to figure out threats. And that would make sense, right, for them to kind of try and figure out who or what is flying in the atmosphere, oh, for from sure. what country. It doesn't necessarily mean they're investigating UFOs for the fact that they're aliens. It's UFOs in the the, the common sense of the word in terms of unidentified they're investigating a UFO in their airspace for them to figure out what it is, be it like the Russians or the Chinese or, you know, us Canadians, you never know. One of my favorite things is uh, if you head on over to the article, uh, one of the first studies they link to is called Warp Drive, Dark Energy and the Manipulation of Extra Dimensions. And it's a 34 page unclassified PDF for official use only. I'm not sure what kind of official use uh, it would be in this case. Uh, but there's a lot of like really neat uh, techno babble and a lot of really great equations as to how gravity and time work. So uh, good news for all of you uh, nerds out there. If you want to go ahead and leave through a lot of like really weird diagrams, that's Definitely a place to go. But Angelo, I want to kind of like pick your brain for a sec on a sort of like a more human level. Just I want you to imagine like what a meeting like this, like, for example, like, uh, you know, like this U.S. senator uh, kind of appropriates 22 mil or whatever to um, start this program. Like, what is the first conversation when you get all these scientists in the room? Like who who gets first dibs at this cash? Right. Is it the dark energy people? Is it the anti-grav people? Is it, you know, like the 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 weapons people? Is it the like weird exotic propulsion people like who gets to pick what that's like and like what kind of conversations do you think they're having? Well, they'd have to kind of present the case of what can cause the most damage without costing the most money. Oh, interesting. Or be able to be done in the most secretive of ways so that nobody figures it out. First of all, which one's the most likely and then which one will cost the least amount of money and which one will be the most bang for the buck. Right. Uh, so I guess like that is dark a very energy pragmatic. Is yeah. That's a very pragmatic answer. I was kind of looking for some uh, fun and uh, role playing, but instead you decided to bring this to a very, very realistic uh, kind of way. So I applaud you uh, on that end. Congrats on uh, being a Debbie being Downer. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and we're not talking about Elon Musk's company here either. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely do think that like dark matter and dark energy and um, time travel, anything time travel related, I think would be like a really, really uh, big ticket item that you'd want to probably tackle first in these cases, especially as it relates to uh, protecting the integrity of Earth's timeline. Well, I'd say like um, Doctor Strange type uh, powers would be great, like opening up portals and then having... Other superheroes fly through said portals to attack other people. Did we talk about this last week with Infinity War and how um, it would have been super easy for Doctor Strange to just sever a few limbs of the big baddie? Yes, I do believe we uh, we talked about that uh, very, very briefly. So there we go. Anything that can create portals would be an excellent use of the $22 million. So the interesting thing is that... Um, one of our favorite organizations, uh, the Two of the Stars Academy, gets mentioned because one of the study authors now is uh, working in an executive position in Two of the Stars, which makes me want to believe that slowly but surely, um, Two of the Stars is revealing itself to be a part of a Skunk Works project. So we're talking about uh, Earth Tech CEO Harold Putoff, right? He was the one who wrote, he authored the study in 2010. Yeah, he co authored, right, uh, uh, Harold Putoff uh, co authored one of the studies, yeah. Yeah, with Eric Davis, uh, who was also another employee. 
And like, it's funny how they're all interconnected. You're right. Like to the, to the stars Academy. And uh, so he's the vice president now of, this, of, of science and technology there. Yeah. So they're, they're all like connected. It's really, really weird. Like Louis, Louis Elizondo was head of, of it as well. At one point he was working in all of this stuff. It's, it's like some weird incestuous relationship there. I definitely do believe that, uh, I don't know, my personal belief system is that, uh, not belief system, but like a set of beliefs about this is that it's definitely seeming more and more like a way for the government to sort of uh, disseminate information unofficially, especially given the caliber of uh, people who appear uh, both on the executive committee as well as working in tandem with um, other people at To The Stars, right? Part of me, like the, the, the real believer in this, not the skeptic side of me, the believer in me wants to like kind of think this is a way for us. This is all a government thing. Everything's all connected. Tom DeLong is was like recruited by the CIA or whoever to start this thing and slowly bring out the information that they all know that we're talking to aliens. We're connected to them somehow. They've been visiting us. Okay, so here's here's a question for you before I forget. Um uh, Tom DeLong is he knowingly or unknowingly recruited? Because a part of me believes that they uh, kind of orchestrated this whole thing in order to move him into this position without officially telling him that they were doing all this. Oh, see, I was thinking that like he got recruited um, out of high school or something, and they're like, hey, "You started band." <laughs> he started. He's he's part of a punk band. Uh, by the way, shouts out to uh, the Blink One Fifty Five podcast, which uh, covers every single uh, Blink One Eighty Two uh, song on a weekly basis, and they've touched a bit upon the To the Star stuff. But yeah, so the idea that like he starts this like a really crass teenage punk band that kind of outlives itself. He leaves uh, numerous times. Uh, finally, after uh, I think twenty twelve or twenty thirteen. Uh, actually, no, it would probably be, yeah, 2013, and then uh, walks away from this in order to become a government man. No, and he was a government man from the beginning. That's the thing. It was all a really slow build. He had fun being in a rock band. Um, they played some fun songs. And now here we are, the moment of truth. In the next five years, it's all going to come out. They're all going to explain everything. All this was for them to prepare us for the coming alien invasion um and that's it and like, I like obviously the, i don't believe any of that no, but of it's course a fun, not, but it's fun story it's fun. To, yeah. to think it's it's the way like i look here free idea for tom DeLong, one of your fun to the stars fictional books there we go a story of how a young child was recruited to start a band a man named dom talong yeah exactly so and it's a it band was, called blank blank 86 or whatever yeah no uh link 184 Oh, there and we there we go. They started the band and then later he became head of this weird sort of entertainment fun UFO company. I'm into that. Uh, so further along in this uh, article on thedrive.com, they uh, actually made an addendum and added a, a second study that they found. It's called Traversable Wormholes, Stargates, and Negative Energy, authored by Eric Davis, who had, who had co-authored the other one. So it's a 43-page uh, document, also filled with equations and explanations as to how theoretically a lot of this would work, because a lot of this actually doesn't... Uh, you can't tangibly do a lot of this kind of stuff, right? So it's a lot of like, the science makes sense, but it's putting the science into action in in a realistic ways. There's actually a really funny um, diagram on page 17 that explains what like a weird wormhole uh, Stargate. Um, you've played Portal, right? Yeah, of course. Okay, so this is a picture straight out of Portal. And um, keep in mind, these are official government documents, right? And so right now, uh, I, I urge everyone to go take a look at this. Um, so on the left-hand side, there's a picture of a man staring into a wormhole where a dinosaur is waving at him. And then um, on the bottom left, there's two dinosaurs kind of staring off, and the man appears in the wormhole. And on the third one, a man is tricking his body uh, and throwing his arms into a portal, and they appear differently. I really... <laughs> don't don't understand why this was like the chosen uh, diagram of choice uh, in order to sort of uh, make reference to the idea of a stargate or a wormhole. Yeah, so definitely go. It's at the bottom of the article, right? This is one's the one traversable wormhole, stargates, and negative energy, uh, like you mentioned. And you can download this page eight uh, of the document itself because it's page sixteen of the actual PDFs anyway. Seventeen. P yeah, page seventeen. Sorry, and uh, there's a weird like. He looks like Einstein, sort of, and it's like, he, you know like that thing yeah. where yeah, you pretend he, like you're kissing somebody and you got like yeah. the hands going up, but, but his hands are going through a portal onto the other side. They're like, it's like a reverse handshake, weird thing where like the hands are in the wrong position. 
and the dinosaurs. Yeah, the the top left diagram where the dinosaurs surprised at the human. I, it looks like they're making a, like dinner plans. Yeah, and and it looks like the other dinosaurs like, hey Bob, what are you doing? What are you like, to? What once is again, that? like these are official government documents, my friend, that <laughs> exist uh, to illustrate a point. But they could have chosen not dinosaurs. I don't know. I, I just think it's a. It was a very strange choice of what to use. Then the next page, there's a picture of a wormhole opening, a Stargate actually, yeah. in Times Square. One of my, so there's like a bunch of like really, uh, these are fun to read. So for example, while like one of the, the headers uh, later on in the document is uh, point four, constructing a traversable wormhole is not easy. So it kind of lays <laughs> out like the energy needed and the science behind it. Um, so this is kind of like super fascinating stuff, though it is quite um, dense to read through uh, in I, one I setting. I would say like uh, making a bun on my daughter's head for her ballet class is not easy. Constructing a, a traversable wormhole, I think is a little bit beyond that. Those are the wrong choice of words. Fair enough. So it is uh, hyper difficult then in that case. Yeah. Uh, practically impossible. <laughs> Highly implausible. Theoretically possible. So when we were talking about this article this week, I kind of had this idea of like the idea of um, what if like ETs, like the classic greys, like got a hold of this, right? So the idea that um, they somehow ended up with these like PDF documents on their ships. And I was kind of describing it the same way that like a um, a teacher would grade like a child's like book report, right? Like, you know, like B, like show your work. So the, you know, there's like work shown. And then like the idea of like, you know, has met the objectives, but it hasn't like exceeded uh, the objectives based on the grading scheme. Like you're kind of there like earth you you kind of get it but you're not there yet if only you spent a little bit more time thinking like you get that a that that intergalactic a yeah the you know like for example the wording of the wormhole thing hmm, doesn't meet expectations there that's yeah. poor choice of words <laughs> and uh i can just see them with their little their little slit of a mouth uh slowly here we go again uh, with shaking the their heads you with mouth their, shame these grays so much dude with their tiny little hands ugh, just being upset and uh and you can't tell if they're happy or sad with that little mouth of theirs. Right. You, they're just, they're, they're unflinchingly uh, judgmental. Yeah. Our friend uh, Rob sent me a picture specifically of, uh, I think it's the cover from communion. Yeah, it's, co- it's the communion cover. Yeah. He likes harassing me with that picture. He knows because it haunts it you. And me. also like you take every opportunity to shame the grays. Because I hate them. They sound <laughs> like awful, awful creatures. And, uh, I mean, look again, I don't think they actually exist, but, but if they did, they'd be awful. I really hope that their like big revelation when they come to earth, when we make contact is for them to judge our official government documentation and like, let us know how we've screwed up as like a teacher would. And they'd be listening to this podcast and they're like, that jerk keeps talking about their mouths, our mouths, not nice. Uh, but moving from one form of interesting uh, government documentation to another, you actually found a really, really cool cache of NSA security posters from the 70s to the no, from the 50s to the 70s. Um, so these were declassified in mid-April 2018, and some of them are a little weird. Oh, they're really weird. Um, another uh, Kotki.org uh, discovery. Um, it has that that site has nothing to do with the paranormal. It's or tech or anything. It's just kind of a mix of interesting stuff that he finds. And this was on the page this week. There's a poster, for example, that's like a, a knockoff of John Travolta in Saturday Night Live. And the caption is security fever. Catch it. Yeah. It's so many, so many things. The one that kind of, I found chilling is uh, one. What is that? The constitution. Oh yes. That this nation. And then they cross out under God shall have a new birth of freedom and that government of the, and they cross out people and write state over it by the state for the state shall not perish from the earth, which is kind of, uh, I don't know. Is it unconstitutional to do that? I'm not American. I don't, so I don't, I don't know. know. Like in what context with like Bob from like accounting at the uh, NSA is like, let's put this up guys. It's really going to motivate the troops in, uh, you know, in fighting all of these uh, international issues. And now they have like memes from today. Well, yeah, it's like that FBI meme, right? The Merry Christmas one. Yeah, they're so it's so strange. But I guess these are regular people too, despite the fact that they're like spying on us. They're just regular people trying to do a job. That it's like fifty percent uh, spying, fifty percent like office morale. Yeah, I'm sure they have passive aggressive notes in the kitchen as well. Oh, like the like someone left something in the toaster oven again. Yeah, uh, only you can prevent toaster oven fires that was an actual uh thing posted in my kitchen at work and uh, because you work with mutants uh it's a continual problem 
<laughs> I don't work with mutants, but it's very we're, odd that we're Toaster not gonna get, like I could easily make a list of like ten mutants that you work with. Okay, but be careful. I think people I work with do listen to the show. Yes, and the people who don't listen to the show are the ones who are the mutants. That's true. The people that listen to the show are wonderful people. Hi, everyone. There you go. But yeah, if you want to head on over to cocky.org, uh, take a look. Um, you can also download a PDF over... 80 uh, megs. At the end, yeah, of uh, most of them. But these are some choice selections. Uh, the first one, of course, is uh, a red dying of the classic Mona Lisa picture that reads, Mona Lisa, Mona only smiles about her secrets. Keep smiling. Yeah, I don't... I don't like, what does that even mean? Like, just shut up and keep smiling? And there's the creepy one that at first I thought they had pacifiers in their mouth, but no. Uh, put They're security like where your mouth is. And it's a, a padlock. Oh, it's a padlock, yeah, right. Okay. Or a combination lock, sorry. Right. Uh, so, yeah, we, uh, I don't know, I think we should start posting these everywhere at our workplaces, see what happens. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, on a side note, on a tech note, the fact that that PDF is over 80 megabytes, and it's double the size of my first hard drive on my first PC. Wow. Uh, thanks for making some of us feel old and some of us uh, feel young. I don't know which one of those two might fall on. You're in between. I don't think your first PC had a had a four megabyte hard drive. No, my first PC didn't even have a hard drive. I don't think so. Oh, okay. Well, there we go. You were ahead. It of It was the curve. all disk based. Yeah. Well, you know what? If I really want to get old, I, my first PC was, I guess, an Atom ColecoVision Atom. It had cassette tapes. Settle in, folks, as we have uh, two more hours of this, at the very least, if not two and a half. Of no, no, Angel reminiscing about every single facet of his uh, computer. But before we here. go, um, yes, if uh, people are looking note, at their. Show well, art. Yeah, you may have noticed something a little different this week. Yeah, we changed our show art. We uh, we've had several conversations about this since the start of the podcast, and um, we are tech and paranormal, but we felt like the uh, original logo that we had was a little too uh, on the tech side of things, and we've been trying to sort of brainstorm a way in which to bring the two elements together. So we feel as though we've done a good job of this. So to anyone listening to this who hasn't noticed, go ahead and pull out your phone or your browser and take a look um, at Angelo's creation. So Angelo, firstly, like thanks for creating this. This is uh, a really great representation of what I think we're all about. Well, you kind of had the idea of a UFO. I think we kind of both had the same idea of the disc being abducted by a UFO, or am I crazy on that? Uh, no, I think we both kind of came up with it, and I had suggested like maybe throwing in other pieces of media, but kind of made it too cluttered. Like I wanted like a CD in there, maybe like a tinier diskette, but it's a lot cleaner with just like the one diskette from our sort of like original OG um, logo, right? Well, we had a, gone really elaborate at first and <laughs> gone crazy with like effects and filters, and it, it looked... Uh, your words to clip arty. Yeah, it was very um, airbrushed. I found like the first time. Yeah, that, and I, maybe you know, maybe we'll post like the in progress work um, as an example of what we were talking about um, on Instagram or something, and sort of like do an A B right of like uh, concept versus uh, final. Well, I had literally taken our current logo and kind of flipped it, uh, like not flipped it, but like uh, rotated it slightly because that's something we both came up with at the exact same time as when we sent we we drew each other a picture and took a picture of it. And we both pretty much had drawn, drawn the same thing with the disc at a 45 degree angle or so. Yeah. And, and it, I had I, done I, that, but it was the original artwork. This, right. I redid the whole thing. So I think like if ever we would do like a third iteration, like you literally need to take everything that's within uh, the frame of this one and add it to the next one as we continue, like a, like a reverse Russian doll. Well, then it would be like a bigger UFO uh, right. Sucking off. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a fun challenge. Maybe like a, a year or two down the line, we could start talking about, you know, that. Russian as nesting a, dolls. As a one-off. Yeah. Of UFOs. Like it, as a one-off. But yeah, so uh, everyone go ahead and tweet uh, Angela at Angelo Fiorin on Twitter and uh, let them know how you feel about the new logo because I love it. I think it's great. I can't wait to start posting it. And uh, I must everywhere. say, this is like the extent of my uh, graphical design skills and they were pushed to the limits. Yes, but we got there at the end. And that's the thing is that we both got there. Yeah, you were actually really helpful in the process. You, it's not like I, we had like an annoying client we had to deal with or something, which I'm sure our graphic design friends who are listening probably have had to deal with in the past. Um, where it was a good, fun, collaborative uh, endeavor. And one of the reasons I've said I like doing this podcast is that I get to do these creative things. That's like the main reason for this show is that I get to record stuff, I get to edit stuff, and we get to do cool stuff with... Um, I used Pixelmator in this case, but it's like a Photoshop equivalent, basically, on the Mac. And uh, that shows with uh, 
not a minimal amount of tools, but like a, a certain amount of tools you can still get a lot of things done, I think, um, which is kind of one of, like the, one of the marvelous things about living in this day and age is that you, the barrier for entry for a lot of these things is set uh, a lot lower, which means that people like you can go ahead and... Uh, <laughs> well, the way you said that, wow. Well, I mean, you're not necessarily a graphic designer by trade. Not but I feel even like you close. Did, yeah, but I feel like you did a really good job, um, all things considered too. Like, I really enjoy this. Well, it's my artistry this because, degree, Ryan. Well, yes, of course. Talking about, we, we actually ended up talking about negative space at one point. Like, it just, it got a little weird. That's what I learned from art history. And with that, Angela, we're going to bring episode 59 of the Double Density uh, podcast to a close. You can go ahead and find us over on Twitter, double underscore density, facebook.com slash double density podcast. Same thing on Instagram and head over to double density dot where you can see all of our latest episodes. So if this is your first time listening to us, hey, how are you? You can go ahead and find out uh, all the different apps that we're on on the website, as well as check out the contact page. Uh, you can click the hosts link to find out a little bit more about us. And our sad little neglected blog is not going to be so neglected anymore as I'm going to be putting a little more time over the coming weeks to post um, some different content over there for your eyes in between shows. How does that sound, Angelo? That sounds good. I think uh, you're the better writer of the two of us. That's for sure. And uh, you are the better illustrator in between the two of us. So, hey, look at this. And together we make one full podcast. There we go. We need two of us to make a podcast. (laughs) Tune in next week as we discuss the intricate link in between extraterrestrials and Nazis. Angelo, I will see you around. See you then. Maybe on the street, waiting for a bus. I'll be waving at you. Bye. I feel like uh, Jeb Bush. Please clap. (laughs) Uh, A politician you are not.